Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome, Welcome to, to Half Torah with Eliana and Abigail. But I'm Abigail. And I'm Eliana. Woo! Okay, so I feel like it's been a while, but it's been the exact same amount of time that it always is. One week. About a week. Yep. So, how are you guys doing? I feel like I yeah. should, you know how in iCarly they have like that button where like you get reactions, like random dancing. You should get that random dancing. I should have been like, how are you guys doing? And then I press it and then there's cheering. That'd be so awesome. You need a reactions button. Or I could like get an app on my phone or something. Oh my god, you should. Do it. Do it. Okay. I'll do guys. it for next time. Coming up. Now you have something to look forward to. Oh my what? god. My siblings are going to be playing guitar. So... Okay, so we're back. <laughs> we're back. We just paused the recording for one second to yell at my siblings. Okay. <laughs> they should write our theme song if they're going to be like playing. Oh my God. Okay, perfect idea. So, next episode, you guys have so many things. To look it's going to be revamped, remade. Wow. Like a little jingle. You guys can't, you, you guys know the move that we make. Yeah, you totally do because we explained it to you one episode. If you've Which been following along, the half Torah, oh. you know, the in and out, yeah, yeah. the little boogie we do. So, like, we yeah. always, I didn't even realize we literally always do that. We're so cute. We are so cute. It's, we were also doing it when we did our profile photo shoot. Remember that in the house what? kitchen? So cute. We're adorable. Uh. It's crazy. I think majority of our episodes have been over Zoom now. Is that That's scary? Because we've been doing it for four months like this. Four months. No, I think three. Really? Yeah. Okay, March to April, April and May, May to June, June to July. But I think it was like Oh, 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 because did we not start until April? Oh, because we we pre-recorded Vayikra. Um, Yeah, we did that. (laughs) Not big brains. Why are we so cool? We're amazing. Okay, this is basically just the Abigail and Eliana hype show. I need it. Honestly, same. It's healthy. (laughs) Okay, well, either way, um, however long it's been, it's been a while, and it's kind of crazy that we're across the country from each other, but we're still keeping this up, so I really hope you guys enjoy it, and it's really good for us. We're doing it for us. We've never done it for you guys. Let's be real. (laughs) We're happy you all enjoy it, future people, once we're famous, all the thousands of fans. We do love you, but it's for us. Exactly. Well put. E- extremely well put. Um, but if, in case you were actually here for the real content, not that this isn't the real <laughs> content, um, you know, the thing sure. that, that our title says that we're going to do <laughs> that is the Haftorah, and this week's Parsha is Matot. So we're almost finished with Sefer Bamidbar, which is insane. That means literally there's just Bamidbarim, and then it's it's the Chagim. Like, what? Like, why does it, it goes so fast when you think about the Parshiot. Uh, I don't understand. Yeah. Wow. And then when did we start? We started, like, at the end of Brayshit, no? Yeah. Whoa. Oh, my God. We can really, we can have a full Hamisha Chamshay Torah of half Torah. We'll need, we'll need to, like, text an Amudim, like, come celebrate our seum of half Torah. That would literally be unbelievable. I'm going to cry, probably. For sure, for sure. But it's okay. We still have a lot of time. Okay. A lot of time. We do. We do have a while. And then we can always, you know what, guys, dream up some big uh, new projects that you'd like for us to work on and comment down below. Hashtag Haftora. I swear one day I'm actually going to check the hashtag. So actually tweet us. Yeah. 
half Torah. Which Eliana, did you make the account? What? Which the, account? the half Torah Twitter account. Make it. I don't have Twitter. I just got oh a Facebook God. call. You, have and to I don't to you don't have to have Twitter to make an account. Just make one. That's how it starts. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. You know what? I'll do it for you. Really? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll think I will we'll both run it. Okay, but fine. Okay, you know what? I'm commissioning you to make it because I post these episodes, so you have to make the That's Twitter. true. Okay. But I don't know how to like make um like people Twitter. follow us. Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. They all hear about us, so now they know what to do. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay. You guys did not need to hear that BTS. Like, <laughs> the business behind. They're getting the, like, behind the scenes. Yeah. Okay, I hope you enjoyed it. Anyways, so, as always, we are reading from the amazing book, which is called Mitoha Ohel Hafta Wrote Essays on the Weekly Haftarah Reading from the Rabbis and Professor of Yeshiva University. Why you, why you? Okay. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> and it is... Um, a book that is published by Moggit, it says, but we all know what that really means. It means Koren. That's right. So hit Koren up with the keyword promo code. Yeah, promo code. And get like 50% off or whatever they decide. Whatever you decide. Yeah, probably like the thousandth person to do it will get a free copy. Yeah, I feel like that's really a good idea. If you're Maybe the- I should try to be the thousandth person. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could really start this off, you know? Why don't you go ahead and buy a book? Ooh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> if the promo code works, maybe. Oh, my God. Try it. Oh, my God. Can you actually? <laughs> That'd be amazing. If it that would be amazing. Legendary. Oh my, God. my legs are about to fall off. Ouch. <laughs> wow. That had no context at all. Guys, didn't you know that I run while we do have Torah? Yeah, don't you hear her running in the background? You're like the silent runner. It's the coolest thing. True. You have a new name. That's so cool, actually. I just made you into a superhero. Oh, stop. That's actually my dream. You're welcome. Okay, well. Yeah, watch the trailer. Okay, fine. Let's just start. You probably really should. It's been like forever. You're right, you're right. <sighs> okay, deep breaths. Do you want to start us off? Sure, I can. This, this Dvar Torah is by Dr. Frederick M. Sugarman. And it's called Haftarat Matot, Prophets in America. Are we feeling like it's Yirmiyahu? Um, well, not really, honestly, I'm going to say. Especially if he titled it Prophets in America. I feel like it's going to be about, like, Salt Lake City, Utah, Mormons, because America is the chosen land. Uh, so my favorite um, <laughs> definitely of Tanakh, the um, Mormon part. Yeah, it's the third in the trilogy of testaments no yeah. guys i <laughs> i promise i'm not a cover this is all <laughs> but all right let's just let's just see no wait what are you feeling i want to hear your thoughts i don't know like just because prophets in america so it's got to be one of the like prophets i'd assume one of the navim right um and yeah. none of the navim ever came to america as far as i know yona uh, traveled to like a new place I feel, oh, that's true, that's true. Let me think, though. I want, I want, I want to be right. I don't know, Matot has, like, rules. It's like, um, you have to follow these rules that, like, Hashem gave you, stuff like that. Uh, what else was there? Did we have Eliyahu last week? Was that last week? 
I literally don't remember. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, let's just do this, okay? To begin, a country's cultural and intellectual life is often deeply affected and influenced by achievements of prior cultures. As Harold Bloom suggests in The Anxiety of Influence, no artist or thinker is ever free from the thought of his predecessors. What Wordsworth struggled with in the prelude um, is, was not only Milton's paradise loss and its colossal footprint in, on American, whoa, on English liter, literary life, but the Jewish Bible and its ambiguous depiction of the first family, um, Adam and Eve, and their nascent, nascent relationship with God. How the later artist interpret it, interprets and incorporates the message of the first writer creates the tension and, ulti and ultimate triumph of the later culture. In the case of America and our fundamental thinkers, the Puritans of New England, the relationship, the relationship becomes inex inextricably bound um, with their reading, with their reading use and even misuse of Tanakh. The Puritans grew up on the Tanakh and, um, or what to them was called the Old Testament and books of the prophets. In fact, those founding fathers who fled Europe were classically trained in universities where Hebrew language and thought were part of the divinity curriculum. The first colleges um, found in the New World, Harvard, Yale, the College of William and Mary, were all chartered as divinity schools in which fluency in, in the Jewish language and thought would constitute as part of their core studies. When Governor John Winthrop delivered the first sermon before uh, before even touching land, a model of, Christi of Christian charity, he wasted no time in linking his mission with that of the Jews who fled Egypt. The heart of his argument, what Perry Miller would refer to as the marrow of Puritan divinity, was the absolute certainty that God established a covenant with Abraham. This covenantal theology, when rightly understood, would enable the nascent, again, we're not sure what that word is, um, mm -hmm. Israel to flourish in the wilderness of the new world. The difficulty of this deceptively beautiful and straightforward fact of Jewish na nationhood resides in the question of who interprets the, coven the covenant and how you bring a disparate collection of pilgrims to join in the celebration of God's word made manifest in the world. The Jewish prophets were critical guides for the Puritans. Isolate, isolate, isolate figures, isolate figures rising up does not even make sense. Isolated? Isolated I figures, I think. That's what I thought, yeah. Maybe it's a weird noun. Yeah, maybe. Ris rising up in times of challenge and change, these men spoke in symbolic logic about what we needed to do in order to reclaim the days of old and unchallenged belief in God. Yermiahu, oh my God. Got him. Oh my God. I literally shut you down when you said that, but you know you're the queen of guessing. Ooh. Oh my God. Okay, everyone just like give Eliana a round of applause. We did it. Oh my god. Okay, so Yermia, who was a prophet of great value to the Puritans. Living between the periods of the destruction of the first and second temples, Yermia, who became a touchstone for the logic of the prophetic texts, which would inform Puritan divines, particularly Jonathan Edwards. The Haftorah for Parshat Mato, the opening of Yermia, begins the three Haftorot of affliction, read between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, um, during the three weeks, I guess. This 21-day period, among the darkest in Jewish history, marks the start of the Siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the two temples on the 9th of Av. The prophet begins his narrative with a search of authenticity. Yermiahu, like Moshe Rabbeinu, professes his inability to find words and assume the mantle of prophecy. My Lord, Elohim, behold, I know not how to speak, for I am but a lad. 
The role of the reluctant prophet and his rise is first tied to language. If one is to speak for God, he will need a language of absolute perfection since the message will be God's message and the mission will be nothing less than the salvation of a nation. Um, hence, Yermiahu begins his quest for the right language through the question of how we connect God's language to man and how we can sanctify the act of speech. He does this by creating um, symbols or metaphoric language, which serves as man's bridge to the world of the creator. World, yeah. Um, and it is these two symbols, the almond wood staff and, boiling, and a boiling pot, which allow Yermiahu to initiate his prophetic career with the prediction and destruction of Jerusalem from an, from an invader um, from all the families of the kingdoms of the north who will begin the siege of Jerusalem. The almond wood staff is a symbol with a long tradition in Chumash. Um, in particular, during the revolt of Korach and his followers, Moshe Rabbeinu calls for each of the 12 tribes to produce a single staff with only its leader's name written on the staff. These 12 staffs were placed in the tent, tent of meeting overnight, and on Moshe's return the next day, almonds had sprouted on the Aaron staff. On Aaron's staff. Um, the symbolic act creates order. Aaron's tribe will stand against Korach and all insurrections throughout time, as God has dramatically indicated. Yermiahu's ima imaginative reading and, appropri and appropriation of this symbol for practical use come, um, comes full circle through the conclusion of the Haftorah, in which he consults his followers by reminding them that God will again show mercy to his once righteous children. Reluctance to rise to the prophetic has, um, has become assured leadership. The young lad unable to speak is the link between the divine and the human voice. The larger question or symbol or symbolic interpretation in both Hamash and America or an American thought is both massive and simple. Puritan divines and um and the greatest of American literary figures, Emerson, Whitman, um, Melville, and Hawthorne, um, are all seekers of the prophetic voice. Two short examples can provide um can provide background for this assertion in the Scarlet Letter and Moby Dick. Scarlet Letter in particular was created by a writer who was deeply engaged with the prophets and in thinking about how one can rediscover the power of original communication with God. The seminal moment in the book, the scene in which a meteor appears in the sky after the death of Governor John Winthrop and illuminates the sinners, Hester and Reverend, uh, the sinners, Hester and Reverend Dimsdale on the scaffold in the center of town throws into sharp relief the question um, for Hawthorne and his connection to Yermiahu. Um, okay, here's the quote. Nothing was more common in those days than to interpret all meteoric appearances and other natural phenomena that occur with less regularity than the rise and set of a sun and a moon as so many revelations from a supernatural force. Thus a blazing spear, a sword of flame, a bow, a sheaf of arrows seen in the midnight sky, prefigured Indian warfare. Pestilence was known to have been foreboded by a shower of crimson light. We doubt whether any marked event for good or evil ever befell New England from its settlement down to revolutionary times of which the inhabitants had not been previously warned by some spectacle of this nature. Not seldom, it had been seen by multitudes. Oftener, however, its credibility rested on the faith of some lonely eyewitnesses, eyewitness, who beheld the wonder through the colored, magnifying, and distorting medium of his imagination and shaped it more distinctly in his afterthought. It was indeed a majestic idea that the destiny of nations should be revealed in these awful hieroglyphics on the cope of heaven. A scroll so wide might not be deemed too expansive for providence to write a people's doom upon. The belief was a favorite one with our forefathers of betokening that their infant commonwealth was under celestial guard 
guardianship, guardianship, a peculiar intimacy and strictness. And that's from the Scarlet Letter on page 140 of the Modern Library Edition. The variety of interpretive acts and the consequences of true and false prophecy and the interpretation of these quote unquote awful hieroglyphics only support the transmission of key Jewish ideas of covenantal bonds, leadership, and the transmission of God's word. Moby Dick, the single masterpiece of American literature, the signal, sorry, signal masterpiece of American literature, can be read as a meditation of how one interprets the natural world in a search for God's meaning. The novel's false Yirmiyahu, Captain Ahab, Ahab, I think. I don't know, I never read Ahab. it. Ahab, you're totally right. <laughs> Guys, I am really bad when it comes to classic books, but I, I only read like five, like honestly. Like, <laughs> I never read Moby Dick, but. Same. So, okay, we're going to say Ahab because that sounds right. I think it's right. I don't know. Um, so he delivers his notion of prophecy in his first solilo- soliloquy on the deck of the Prequad. Oh my God. Prequad? are going to listen to this and be like, <laughs> you are idiots. Oh we never God. read it. I feel like I should Google, like, uh, like Google how do you pronounce this, you know? <laughs> I always do that. Oh, okay, so here is the quote. All visible objects, man, are but as pasteboard masks, but in each event in the living act, the undoubted deed, there, some unknown but still reasoning thing, puts for the moldings of its features from behind the unreasoning mask. If man will strike, strike through the mask. Um, how can the prisoner reach outside except by thrusting through the wall? To me, the white whale is that wall shoved near to me. Sometimes I think there's not beyond, but tis enough. He tasks me, he heaps me. I see in him outrageous strength with an inscrutable malice sinewing it. Um, that inscrutable thing is chiefly what I hate. And be the white whale agent or be the white whale principal, I will wreak that hate upon him. Talk not to me of blasphemy, man. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. And that is from Moby Dick, Norton Critical Edition, page 144. Was the other one also page 144? No, that was page 140. But that would have been a fun coincidence. Yeah. Um, both novels seek a direct relation with God in order to determine the course of their nation's destiny. Like Yermiahu, the arduous, ar- arduous undertaking um, needs to have a form and a language in order to decipher the symbolic world. In both cases, the work of an earlier American figure also involved in the work of decoding the natural, um, decoding the natural and guiding his nation, Jonathan Edwards, provides a reliable link that will help show how the Jewish prophets were an essential part of creating an American intellectual tradition in the New World. Jonathan Edwards' call to prophecy came out, um, came at an early age in his per- personal narrative, and appeared fully formed. Uh, in his great sermon delivered during the height of the Great Awakening of the 1740s. Uh, quote, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's what it's called. Um, if Yirmiyahu began his prophetic career as a reluctant prophet, so did Edwards, who describes his boyhood's search for God as a spiritual quest um, that he undertook with his friends. I, I used to pray five times a day in secret and to spend much time in religious talk with other boys and used to meet with them to pray together. The rigor of his, of his quest soon collapsed, however, and Edwards left off, secret, left off secret prayer and returned like a dog to his vomit and went on in the ways of sin. Afflicted by um, furacy and near death as a child, Edwards was soon shown that God was indeed speaking to him, but in the darkest terms imaginable. God, quote, brought me nigh to the grave and shook me over the pit, 
pit of hell, quote. Um, the young Edwards recovered and began and began his quest, finding his meditation with God to be written in the natural world on to be written on the natural world. Like the narrator of the Scarlet Letter and Captain Ahab, the natural world was um, an awful hieroglyphic inviting the religious or, seeming re or seemingly religious soul to demand answers fit only for someone in conversation with God. Pause. If you guys want to quickly go and read Scarlet Letter and Moby Dick, I think <laughs> it would greatly help you understand this Tvartora, but not only this Tvartora, it will like give you a huge insight into the Haftor of this week, like, keeping in mind, like, all the parallels and stuff, and, like, this, like, other, like, Yermiahu version, or, the, like, the Yermiahu character. It's interesting. I think that I should read it, for sure, now. Yeah. I mean, I've read Scarlet Letter. I read it in high school. I don't remember it having this much to do with, like, prophecies and stuff, though. Right. I guess he's, like... Like, he a read-between-the-lines type of thing. What? Like, like, the religious focus, and, like, of sin versus, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All I remember is her daughter was weird. Pearl. I never read it, but I know what it's about. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and I remember I liked their names. Like, Dimsdale was funny because he was kind of dumb and, like, <laughs> it was, like, dim, whatever. And then I remember the villain had, like, an evil-sounding name. Okay, well. And Pearl's name was Pearl because you'd think that that means she's, like, a nice girl, but she was, like, a creepy, weird child, so. Oh, I like that. That's cool. <laughs> That's all I can remember about the Scarlet Letter. All right. Well, um, however, instead of an almond branch staff or a white whale, Edward's symbol of return was thunder and lightning. The young man, usually terrified of natural chaos embodied by storms, became converted by the awful conversations found in natural phenomena. I saw a thunderstorm rising, but now on the contrary, it rejoiced me. I felt God, so to speak, at the first appearance of a thunderstorm and used to take the opportunity at such times to fix myself in order to view the clouds and see the lightnings play and hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder, which oftentimes was exceedingly entertaining, leading me to sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. Page 61. The reluctant prophet had now found a voice and it would reach it and it would and it would reach it most mature utterance during the great awakening of 1741. It's most, I think. I think that's a typo also. Um, when Edward delivered Sinners in the Hands of Angry God at a rural church in Ainfield, Connecticut, Sinners is nothing less than a template for how American artists and intellectuals both appropriated the Jewish prophets and then transfigured these earlier figures for the particular mission of building a holy nation in the new world. I'm confused if he's, like, saying, like, they did something wrong. Yeah, same. I mean, we know that, like, the, like, the Torah is, like, the Christian's, like, old testament right so like, like then, they built then, a religion out of it and now we're getting mad and like they they changed it so yeah. so obviously i mean we could call that appropriation but like but we I, already knew that like that's what I, that's what i think is weird i just don't understand what his objective is yeah i like that but okay quote sinners in the hands of an angry god End quote, begins with an excerpt from Devarim 3235, Parshat Hazinu, their foot shall slide in due time, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Edwards was both at the height of his fame, but was also dealing with a fallen society in which attention to the commandments of God had caused a, dimin a diminution, sure, in fealty and piety. 
While not seemingly a, a catastrophic situation in America, the Great Awakening was a response to the lessening authority of the church and the practice of religion, of religion and communities throughout New England. For roughly 60 years, pastors would offer sermons of warning aptly called Jeremiads. Oh, like after Yermiahu, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. To the stubborn congregants who they wished to shock back to the fold. For Edwards the prophet, this his Jeremiad employed the same discourse he experienced when gravely ill as a boy. When gravely ill. What is with me today? When gravely ill as a boy. Each individual is over the pit of hell, and the only thing keeping them in this life was God's grace. Wow. Um, natural men are held in the hand of God over the pit of hell. Um, they have deserved the fiery pit and are, and are already sentenced to it, and God is dreadfully provoked. His anger is great towards them, and to the, as to those who are actually suffering, the executions of the fierceness of his wrath in hell, and and they have done nothing in the least to appease or abate that anger. N neither is God in, in the least bound by any promise to hold them up one moment. The devil is waiting for them. Um, hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flash about them and, and would fain lay hold on them and swallow them out and swallow them up. The fire pent up in their own hearts is struggling to break out and they have no interest in any mediator. Um, there are no means within reach that can be any security to them. And in short, they have no refuge, nothing to take hold of. All the preserves, all the, all the preserves them every moment, probably that, um, all the preserves them in every moment is the mere arbitrary will and uncovenanted, unobliged forbearance of an incensed God. And that's from page 161. Um, besides the characteristic simplicity of the prose, Edwards was the first great um, practitioner of the American plain style. There is the assured voice of a prophet who understands the dark nature of an angry God who will destroy without a moment's notice. The sermon proceeds to use images of nature and, um, and the scroll of God's narrative to the prophet um, to show man how tenuous his hold on life really is. Man is like a spider or some lonesome insect over the fire. Man is inert weight, heavy as lead, who tends downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. God's wrath is like great waters that are damned for present till an outlet is given, um, and once it is let loose to hell. Edward's first important writings were his juvenilia, juvenilia um, regarding nature and the study of insects and spiders, so it is a brilliant and seasoned observer of so it is a brilliant and unseasoned, whoa, I can't read guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so it is a brilliant and seasoned observer of the natural world who sees sight, who sees sights pregnant with divine meaning wherever his eyes roam. The destructive prophecy um, worthy of who is contained in the image of an archer and his prey. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow and is, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of um, an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Wow. The few eyewitness accounts we have of this sermon describe a congregational audience writhing, wreathing. I never know how to say that word. Like, like, right. I just know that, like, I'm th I think of a snake. Writhing. 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 Thank you. You're my grammar teacher. 
and uttering painful cries. Edward stood at the front of the church and read with little emotion and stared at the back wall of the building with hardly an extraneous movement at all, as if in a trance. Within six years, the great American prophet would resign his pulpit in scandal and go to the wilderness of Connecticut in order to convert Native American Indians. He would write philosophic, philosophical treaties, treatises, treatises, but no longer be witness, articulator, a shaper of American religious life, or a source of, of solace, solace. Solid. What is wrong with me today? I just me actually- too, girl. <laughs> this is such a disaster. I'm sorry for your ears, everyone. <laughs> and God's ultimate mercy. The world would become a place of individual reflection, a partial solace without the promise of national redemption promised by your Yahu at the end of the Haftorah formatote. Wow. Okay. That was a long journey, guys, and I'm sorry I can't read. <laughs> I am also sorry that I cannot read, but guys, let's just take a step back for a second. What exactly was his objective in doing this? I don't really understand. Like, okay, it's cool that, like, there's the Christian, like, type of mindset with early America, and you can see that in these books, and, like, it's almost like a comparison to, like, a prophet like Yermiyahu. Except it's yeah. obviously not, and it's totally different. And also, he said that like they didn't succeed. He like resigned, and like like he does. He didn't ultimately have the same promises or any redemption as Yirmiyahu promised, which we haven't had that redemption either yet. But yeah, but I just don't understand what his point is. I don't know. I feel like he's like an English major or something, and he was like, "Ooh, I'll connect it to the thing that I've been doing for a while now." I don't know. It seems like one of those things where it's just like he's passionate about like books and he's and he was asked to do a Dvar Torah on this and he was like well okay yeah I mean, when, I, guys. when I was taking pictures and I saw on the second page that like the first line had the words Harvard Yale and the College of William and Mary in it and I was like oh god what what okay <laughs> it's about to be intellectual I don't know what's happening <laughs> uh, it's wow. pretty interesting though you guys know that, like, everything we do is subpar. I mean, not to bring Eliana down with me, but... That is true. <laughs> I so, I really hope that you enjoy that train wreck, as you probably know... You, you already knew how this would go. You guys know how we are. It's not true. Like I feel like today we especially couldn't read, though. Why, though? Like, what happened? I think I'm, I'm just tired. That's what I know. I, like... Yeah, but we say that we're tired every week. I'm, so. I'm very tired. The sun, I told you, ate my energy. Wow, it's, yeah. Well, marabu masafa Hashem, so. All right. Um, yeah. If you guys <laughs> heard people running and guitar playing, I'm sorry. But I Yeah, and if you heard the door slamming, I'm sorry. I tried to mute it, but I muted it too late. So you missed a f- couple door slams. I actually muted, and then I yelled at my siblings, like, three times. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, you guys get all the privileges of Zoom. Someday we'll have our own studio, you guys, and then okay. you won't have to worry about all these annoying interruptions. Well, that would be amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, bye, guys. <laughs> Why did I wave? They can't see me. I know. I do so many, like, hand gestures, and they have no idea. Facial expressions. You guys don't even understand what you're missing. We should just make a vlog, really. That's what we should do. We could do it, like, yeah, we could just, like, show them this, but then they'd see, like, my stupid face, like, while you're reading, and I'm, like, just, like... Oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that, but comment down below if you think that we should make a a vlog after we finish Chamisha Chamche Torah, Pop Torah. Yeah! 
That'd be cute. Except, hold on. Did I tell you that I realized at the end of this, they have all the Haftoro for all the special days that we, like, skipped? Yeah. Uh, special edition Haftoro. Shabbat Haggadol, first days of Pesach. Like, uh, uh, Okay, then I guess we don't need a new project for a while. <sighs> yeah, but still, we... I, it kind of looks like we're only halfway through. Honestly, not gonna lie. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, guys. Okay, we got this. While. All right. So Shabbat Shalom, and we love you for listening. Um, bye, guys. Hold it up.